All right, anybody else before I preach? No. Thank you, uh, Star. Lots of stuff going on here at the church. Um, you can check it out on our website or grab a bulletin or just some of these guys that you see up here, some of these ladies that are always telling you about what's going on. Just ask somebody. If you don't know what's going on, I promise you it's your own fault. There is, there is so many ways that you can find out what's going on. I do want to make one... Uh, one more announcement or at least a recognition. We have someone in our midst today who is famous. And so I want to recognize this famous person um, because it's not too often here at the well that we get celebrities here. <clears throat> and so Ben Bocamp on the cover of this magazine is uh, Ben, stand up there, stand up. Hey, turn around, turn around, let everybody see you. Famous Ben, Big Ben here. Praise the Lord, brother. Those of you who don't know Ben, I'm sorry you're missing out. He is a blessing. And uh, Ben, I love you. And uh, you, nobody deserves it more, buddy. Uh, that, that's awesome, Ben. Praise God. Uh, Health Links Upstate. And this is, if I'm not mistaken, the Field of Dreams. Uh, in uh, Spartanburg, Bowling Springs area, and uh, it's, uh, that's an awesome park over there. And as a matter of fact, we've got ministry teams that go over there when they're doing the baseball uh, league over there, the, the ball league, and uh, you can go over and be a part of that and minister. You can go out and hang out with the guys and hang out with them as they play ball and run the bases. You can help them. Or usually they outrun you, especially some of you old people, but... Uh, it, it is really super fun, and uh, it's, a, it's a major blessing. You would think to them, and I'm sure it is, but it's a major blessing to, to you when you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, Ben's a big part of that. So Health Links Upstate, if you want to check that out. Ben's got about 90 copies. <laughs> what you got? Uh, we ain't taking no more time. No, I'm just kidding. What is it? <laughs> All right, seven years. For those of you who don't know, this is Kenzie Cummings. Well, uh, I make my maker's grade this thing can't pick up over eight inches. Here, hold on one second. Let me grab this for you. Hey, y'all. My name is Kenzie. If you don't know me, well, tell them a little bit about what you've been through. Yeah. So they'll know what you're talking about. <laughs> so. About seven years ago, I got leukemia. Um, well, first of all, I want to thank the church for all the support that y'all gave me. We prayed through yes. that, and the, and the Lord delivered him. And it was really scary, but God came through, didn't he? Amen. That, um, but this Wednesday at the Jeff Hart Agency at 4 p.m., um, we're going to have a parade for my Make-A-Wish. And if y'all follow the, uh, the well Facebook page, I'll send information to Brandon and he can put it on there. Is it get rest of the information Tuesday? So thank you. Awesome man. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come here. Love you. You know, that's what I was I was at uh I was in Charlotte on Friday talking to Cole and uh, I told him, I said, Whenever the Lord delivers you, if he so chooses to deliver you, you know that's what we're praying, is that that you'll have a testimony. And that you'll be able to, and, and I pray that this will be the moment where it solidifies who 
who you're dedicated to and who you are about the rest of your life and that you'll stand and and so uh hopefully uh not too long from now maybe we can have cole on this stage uh giving testimony of what god has done in his life too so but it's isn't isn't that good god is good and i told cole i said take heart because not only does god words god's words say that jesus is the great physician and that the same spirit that raised christ from the dead dwells in us but I mean, we have so many testimonies here in this church of God's miraculous hand and healing hand, and it's just amazing to watch God work in his people. Um, it, is, it is really a privilege and an honor to even be a part of it, and I just praise God for that. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 6. We are talking today about uh, the church's, uh, the biblical teaching on the church's um, responsibility of picking good deacons and that's what the title of today's sermon sermon is picking good deacon deacons and I want to talk to you today about the what I see as the first selection of deacons in a deacon ministry and it's not called a deacon ministry at this point in Acts as a matter of fact as one commentator put it it's kind of the ministry appearing before the office is created which I believe is how the church should operate. You see a need, we take care of the need. And if we need to solidify an office to oversee that need, then we can do that. But ministry flows out of the heart. Office flows out of the administrative giftings to coordinate those things. We meet people's needs because we see the need and we love them, right? And so I want to talk to you a little bit today about picking deacons. If you could stand to your feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching in the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. So what I want to do is I want to kind of break down and unpack he, uh, Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7 to, to really gain a biblical understanding about how the church at large, all churches I believe, should take cues from the apostles and the biblical teaching here found in Acts of what they did, that we can take cues from that text on what we should do and how we should go about not just formulating a deacon ministry, but on how we should address issues, real issues that arise in our midst and issues that arise in our communities and things like that. Uh, what we need to understand right out of the gate, and I want to make this, this distinction. A lot of people have a hard time grasping this concept. All of God's word is inspired, 
okay? All of God's words, these 66 canonical books, are inspired by God. They're infallible. They're inerrant. They are the truth by which we judge all other truths. But within the 66 canonical books, we have lots of different genres of literature. We have wisdom literature. We have uh, historical narrative. We have um, prophetic. We, we have all types of different literature in the 66 canonical books. And we have different types of teaching as well, whether it be in the Old Testament or whether it be in the New Testament. Okay? There's didactic teaching that is black and white. It is, it is teaching you what you are to do. It is, it is this is what's the truth and this is what you are to do with that truth. This is what you are to go and do. It's, it's doctrinal teaching that we can take and we can read it. And we can say, okay, now we know exactly what to do. But then there is narrative, there's, there's a narrative, a, a historical narrative, okay? It's a historical account of what actually happened. And that's not necessarily didactic teaching. And so when we look at some of the stories of the Old Testament of David, when we look at stories of Noah, when we look at all of these different stories, whether it be of Samuel and Elijah, there's didactic teaching in there that is, you are to read it, you know that's what you're supposed to do right? But then there's teaching that it's just a historical record of what they did and what, what actually happened. It's still true in every word. But in those instances, we have to ask the question, did they do what was right and should we do exactly what they did? They were in a different time. They were in a different place. They were in a different culture. They were in a different situation. So should we do what they did or should we learn from the principles that we gain and insights that we gain from what happened in those instances, okay? We can see this, and I, and I need to move on from this, but I just want you to see this because Acts is a historical record of what the Holy Spirit did in the early church. And as we watch the book of Acts unfold, and Luke, Luke was the one that wrote, he was the one that recorded the, the things that happened, the things that the... The, the Holy Spirit did through the apostles. As we read the book of Acts, we need to understand that it was just a historical record, a true historical record, but a historical record of what the early church was doing and what the apostles were doing. The question we need to ask is, do we do it the exact same way? That's not even to say that they were doing it the wrong way for them, but should we do it the exact same way? And I think many times the answer should be, as best as we possibly can, yes. But the principles that are applied in Acts, I think, wholeheartedly apply to us. But we need to look and see, is, are the truths contained in Acts and what they did, should that be exactly what we do, or do the principles apply to us differently now that we're in a different culture? Does that make sense to everyone? Yes? No? So this is the reason I make that disclaimer, is that I see a lot of people building big doctrines on the book of Acts, and they don't have any other didactic teaching. And a lot of the times, the epistles that Paul write, they are teachings that are teaching you what to do and how to do it and when to do it, when Acts is just a record of what happened back then. It's true in every way. We can learn from it. It's God's Word. It's inerrant. It's infallible. But it may not necessarily apply to us in the exact same way. I hope that makes sense. I'll show you why I made that distinction a little bit more as we go through 
So let's take a look at some of the context of, context of Acts chapter 6 and what they did when they were presented with a problem and the principles that I think would carry over one-to-one to us and then maybe some differences uh, that, that we see in them. Well, let's, I want to give you a little bit of context and see what of the apostles, what Peter, what they're coming out of, the situation they're coming out of when this problem hits them. This problem of the widows, the Hellenist widows, not getting their uh, portion of the daily distribution that was being given by the early church, by the Christians in that area. I'm not going to read a ton of it, but we see in Acts chapter 5, we see that, um, that Peter and the other apostles were arrested. They were jailed. We find this in Acts chapter 5, verses 17, all the way through the end of the chapter, verses 40, verse 42. We see that they were arrested, they were put in prison, and during the night an angel of the Lord comes and he, he takes off their shackles and he frees them from the prison. And he gives them a commission in, in verse 18. It says this, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison, verse 19. But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to uh, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And so we see that the angel of the Lord opens up the jail cell, escorts them out, and gives them a commission to go and proclaim all the words of life to all the people. And he tells them where to go. He says, go and stand in the temple. Okay, Go and stand in the place where the Jewish leaders are. Go and stand in the place where you are going to be opposed. They were going to be opposed there. The high priests, the Pharisees, they were opposing Jesus and his teaching. They were opposing the apostles. And so he says, go to this place of contention and proclaim the gospel. This is the call on your life. This is your particular call. Go and proclaim. What does it say they did? I mean, in the very next verse, it says this. It says, go stand in the temple and speak to, to the people all the words of life. Verse 21, and they heard this. They entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. As soon as they heard the call, they said, yes, Lord. And as soon as it was daylight, as soon as the, the temple was available, they went to the temple. They started preaching. So they were doing what they were called to do. They were arrested for doing it. Then they, the angel of the Lord let them out. The angel of the Lord commissioned them, no, you go to the temple, you stand there, and you preach. He didn't say run away. He didn't say get scared. He gave them a commission to go and to preach the gospel, to go and speak all of the words of life to this people. And that's what they did. So they go and they do that. As soon as daybreak happens, they go to the temple, they start preaching. Well, as they're there preaching, they're in the temple preaching. The guards come to question them, to to uh, see them, and when they get there, the door is locked again. So if you'll see, the angel of the Lord opened the doors, it said, let them out, and closed it back. And I got to wonder now, this is a little bit of subjective, just me thinking, you know, why would, you know, the details, I think their details are there for a reason. And I think the angel, or an angel of the Lord wanted them to know that it was the power of God that let them out. So he let them out, and he closed the door, locked back. How could they get out? How could they unlock the door? How could they close it back? How could they lock the door? They didn't have the key. And so this was a demonstration of God's power. But then the, the, the odd thing is, is that they weren't, they weren't in the prison. They couldn't find them. And they were like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And so here comes some others saying, look, don't worry. I know where they are. They didn't run away. They didn't escape. They didn't head to the next town. They're right over there in the temple preaching again. You locked them up, but here they are. They've gone right back preaching again. And so they go and find them, and this is what they say. 
They say, now the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words. They were greatly perplexed about them, about them escaping, wondering what this uh, would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple preaching and teaching to the people. Uh, then the captain with the officers went and brought them this time, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. It was very obvious that God was moving in these people, moving in these preachers, moving in these teachers, moving in these apostles. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you are, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They bring them back in. They say, We just put you in jail, man. You know, we told you not to preach in this name. Somehow you get out of jail and you're right back over to the temple. You're preaching again. What is wrong with y'all, right? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, I could spend a lot more time on that. It's some really, really awesome preaching and teaching. I will say this uh, to kind of um, summarize the rest of that chapter. Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. And so they were about to lock them up. They are about to kill them. They wanted to do away with them. And then another one of the Pharisees who had a little bit more rapport with the people came along and said, look, you remember this guy that came along and he was a preacher like Jesus? Well, we killed that guy and, he, and we just left his followers along and they just fizzled out. And then he said, you remember the other guy? There was another guy, too, two of them, that, we, that he rose up. He had a bunch of followers. We killed him, too. And he, we just left him alone, and, and the followers fizzled out. Basically, he says, look, just leave these guys alone. Because if you keep pushing, if you keep pushing, then it's going to elevate. It's going to draw more attention to it. If you'll just leave them alone. And he says this really, really cool thing. He says, he says just leave them alone. And if it fizzles out, we'll know it was of man. But if it will not stop, then we'll know it is of God. And he said, I would leave him alone if I, were you, if I were you so that it would fizzle out or so that you don't find yourselves being in contention with God, if it is of God. And so they actually relent. And then there's this funny thing. It says in verse 40, it says, and when they had called, the, uh, called in the apostles, so they say, okay, you're right. Let's don't do anything. Let's don't make it any worse. Let's just back off. We're going to forget about this thing. It says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they're like, okay, you're right. We won't kill them, but we're going to beat them real good. Brought them in. They beat them and told them again, now don't beat the hound out of them. Told them, said, now, we're going to let you go. When we let you go, don't go back out there preaching in this name. Then listen to what it says, verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were like, yes, we just got beat down for Jesus. And every day, now listen to the result. Now let me stop and ask a question. I'm preaching another sermon now, and I've got to get off of this one. I've got to get to deacons. <laughs> what happens in your life when you meet adversity and you get beat down? What does it cause in you? Does it cause you to want to lay down and quit? Or does it cause you want to rise up and fight? Listen to what happened to them. And every day after they were beaten, they counted that, uh, they counted that, they rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. 
at first they were only in the temple. At least that's what that previous text says. The only thing we see in there. They lock them up. The angel of the Lord commissions them. They get out. They're preaching in the temple. They bring them in for questioning. They beat them down, command them not to do it anymore. They go back out to the temple and house to house. And they never stop. They never cease preaching and teaching. So they're like, yeah, we'll see your stop and we'll up you never ceasing, right? They never cease. So they were right there. Now, I tell you all of that because this is the backdrop now of what we're going to come into in Acts chapter 6 where we see this problem presented in the midst of all of these other problems, if you want to see it that way. I mean, being beaten in the face, you know, and told to stop preaching for Jesus, that would probably be a decent problem for the church to have to contend with, right? But here we are in Acts chapter 6 and it says, Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. So we see the disciples never backing down. They are being persecuted. They're being beaten. They're being arrested. But they wouldn't back down. They kept on preaching. And the disciples were increasing in number. The kingdom was growing. And in these days, in this contentious days, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, what we see is they're already contending with all of these other issues and major issues because it's the proclamation of the gospel, evangelism, preaching, teaching the other disciples, clarifying what Jesus had said, clarifying what Jesus had taught. And so this is the historical record of what the apostles were dealing with and what they were faced with. This is part of the reason why I say we need to be careful building huge doctrines and, and, and these theological constructs on acts because we may be presented with different problems than uh, the apostles were presented with in that day and so the same principles that we can find in there in there may be exactly what we need and will be what we need but the specific way that they dealt with the problem might not be the way that we deal with the problem but we formulate our solution based on the principles that they use to formulate their solution does that make sense to everyone so let's see here. In Acts chapter 6, it says, now they, they, they were presented with this problem. Let's, let's take a look just for a second at the issues, at the issue, the, the particular issue at hand. So there was a Hellenistic um, issue with their widows, the Hellenist widows, weren't getting their, daily, their share of the daily just distribution. And so after reading um, and researching and reading commentaries and things like that, the, Hellen the Hellenistic Jews, it's, it's kind of up in the air depending on who you read, of what the Hellenist Jews, what they act, the Hellenists, what, what, who are they? What were they? A few things that all commentators will agree on that, that I read anyway is that these were, if nothing else, Greek-speaking Jews, believers, okay, Christians. Greek-speaking Jews that were believers that were distinct from those Jews that only spoke Hebrew or, or Aramaic, okay? So it seemed to be a divide, maybe not, maybe divide is a strong word, but at least a distinction within the Christian, the early Christian church that was comprised mostly of Jews, okay, between those Jews that spoke Hebrew and those Jews who spoke Greek, okay? And these Jews were, would have been the Jews that were um, dispersed in the diaspora that we see the, the 12 tribes uh, dispersed or, or spread out. And so they were Jews that had not lived primarily in Jerusalem or in that area, but they had come back to this place for whatever reason. And most historians would suggest that there was a, an influx of Hebrews that would be coming back from other Greek-speaking places that would make their home in Jerusalem, and they would make their home there because they 
basically they came home to die okay and when they came home to die their wives would continue living and these were the Hellenist Jews their widows that would that would be left after these Jewish men came home to Jerusalem to be to die and to be buried within their land and these widows were left so we see that it's probably and I like this what uh, one commentator said about it that it's more than likely a, an indication that there was already some divisions or separations or some contentions between these two types of Jews when they came before they ever became Christian and when they came to Jerusalem they heard about the Messiah or maybe they heard outside of Jerusalem but they they believed in the Messiah and they became part of the Christian church okay now in the Christian church you would have Hebrew speaking Jewish believers and Greek speaking Jewish believers and more than likely there was a little bit of tension there that needed to be dealt with and that may be the reason we see the problem that the Hellenist widows were not getting their fair share of the daily distribution does that make sense to everyone so you see it's very similar to some of our issues in our time right that we have some of you who relate one way some of you who relate another way some of you have this background some of you have that background we see this kind of formulate in the body of believers a lot of people call it cliques right that you kind of relate to one another a little bit better and so you you tend to form you know we can call it right side left side like all of y'all always sit on that side right all of y'all always sit on that side like what do you got against the people on this side I don't understand right you never sit over there it's like those right side people right you know Hey, there's like a divide down the middle, right? <laughs> right side Christians and left side Christians. So we find, you know, it's a little jokingly, but, but don't we see that? We see that kind of arise in the church. And sometimes it's not that big of a deal. Sometimes it's a bigger deal. Sometimes it's not wrong. Sometimes it is wrong. We need to look at this and say, okay, they, there was a problem being presented here. How did they go about dealing with it? Well, Let's look at the text here, and just a few more things here. We see that the apostles were commissioned, called to be focused on prayer. Okay, so let's look back. It says, now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this portion of the church that was comprised mostly of uh, Greek-speaking Jews that were believers rose up they were like hey what's up you know all of right Robert hey what's up uh, every, you know everybody else is getting what they need everybody else is getting what they need but our widows the Greek speaking Jewish widows they're being left out what are we going to do about this okay now here's the problem that's posed there's neglect happening in the church and people aren't getting what they should be getting but here's another part of that problem the issue is brought to people who are not commissioned or called to, to solve problems, at least hand, in a hands-on way, of that nature. That's the reason I gave you the context. Because the problem is brought to the apostles, but what are the, the apostles commissioned to do? We see it already. What were they commissioned to do? Preach. Be dedicated to prayer, seeking after God, the gospel going forth, to teach in the temples, to teach house to house. And so here now they do, they are responsible for administrating and to lead the church. You know, Christ commissioned them, they're ambassadors. I think that they do have that commission. 
but they weren't commissioned to do the hands-on serving and the distribution of meals to Hellenist widows, right? So how do we handle this? We know that the apostles were not called to do that hands-on. What, another thing I just want to hit in passing is, another thing we don't see is a lot of name-calling and blame-shifting. Now, <clears throat> the problem is presented, and what comes next is very important. Because oftentimes when a problem is presented, instead of going straight to potential solutions, we start to point fingers and try to figure out who is to blame which almost never helps, right? Now, the only time that in my mind that I can figure out that that may be legitimate to do is when there is a continual problem that you deal with that keeps cropping back up that you would then take a step back and say, why does this problem keep coming back up? What is the root to this problem? Is it a person? It is, is it a... Um, is it a a way a procedure it what what is it so we try to figure out what's to blame for this issue that keeps creeping back up but to but to have a problem presented to you and to say oh i know whose fault that is this this guy this guy guess what part of the solution is that and so we don't see them doing this we don't say we don't see them saying those those over there they're the ones that are doing it these over here that you know we don't see that what do we what do we see so we see this issue presented, and then we see what the 12 did. And it says, and the 12 summoned the full number of disciples. Now, did he summon the full number of disciples to rebuke them or to come down on them? How dare you, you know? We don't, <laughs> y'all missed that one. I was like, you don't remember that, you know, you remember that? How dare you? Oh, man, you guys need to watch the news every now and then. Uh, so anyway, okay, that was way over y'all's head. I just, I didn't get any response on that whatsoever. Next. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, so he's saying, look, the, the problem is presented. Let's just get everybody together and come up with a solution. The problem is presented. Let's get everybody together and come up with a solution. I had a note here in my notes to um, look at this uh, comment right here i want you to i want you to look at this okay i'm gonna read this part this i thought this author in this commentary did a really good job on this one portion right here i want to make this make this comment okay what we see is something that's unprecedented in the church and in i believe in our modern in many of our modern day churches too and something that i think it's really hard for me sometimes and really hard for most church people sometimes too. What we see in the text is a new solution to a new problem in a church that is founded on many traditions. Now you might say, well, hold on a second. This church is new. Please don't forget that these are Jews who have come out, who have been, who have become believers who were a part of the house of Israel, the nation of Israel, the temple uh, services, the Levitical priesthood, or the Aaronic priesthood, the, the, the Levitical sacrificial system. They had structure. And this is how you dealt with it. These were the structures. And what we're presented with here is a new problem in a new church that has to be handled in a new way. You know what that's called? 
change. Ooh. Right? It's, it's, it's something that you're not going to be able to do it the same old way. It's not going to be done this way or that way, but we need to do something new. We need to bring about a solution to handle this problem based on biblical principles, but we need to handle this problem with these solutions. Listen to this quote, and in, in, uh, this is Richard Longnecker. What a name. His name is literally Longnecker, right? <laughs> Throughout the years, various so-called restorationist movements in the church have attempted to reach back and recapture the explicit forms and practices of the earliest Christians and have tried to reproduce them as far as possible in their pristine forms, believing that in doing so, they are more truly biblical than other church groups. But Luke's narrative here suggests that to be fully biblical is to be constantly engaged in adapting traditional methods and structures to meet existing situations, both for the sake of the welfare of the whole church and for the outreach of the gospel. He says sometimes we have to think outside of the box that we've been given. Always remaining biblical, always having the Word of God as, in our, as our infallible, inerrant truth in God, but seeking, according to biblical principles, to handle real-life situations as they arise with those biblical principles, which may mean getting outside of the box. That is a balance that is really hard to find, but should be sought after. Well, let's turn our attention now to the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem was like this. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what, what the apostles are doing here. They are, they are clarifying. So the first part of the solution, in my estimation, is to clarify the call and responsibility of the people involved of the organization, ministry, particular church, or the issue at hand. Who, who all is involved in the issues that we have here? Who all is involved in our body? Okay? He says he called, it says he called the full number of disciples together. Well, I very, I very seriously doubt that every single disciple that had ever been was in that particular location. I could be wrong about that, but I would imagine that whatever disciples that were in his particular area and under his particular care at that particular moment all came together for that group. I think this is another proof for the local representation of the universal church, okay? This is another proof, I believe, for the local representation of the local church as the, as the whole church. So this is a small church of the big church. And so I think it would be as if here we would say, if we wanted to have a, a solution like this, then we would call together all of those who we know to be believers. Here we would say all of the partners in the church, all of the members of the church who we know as well as we can know are true disciples, true uh, biblical believers. When he calls all those together, he says, look, 
you know that we have a call on our lives that takes us out of being able to fulfill this particular ministry with our hands. Is this making sense so far? He says, so what we need to do is that we need to pick from a month. You need to pick. He gives the responsibility to them. This is one reason why we have changed our uh, protocol here at the well. When we first started, we didn't have a deacon ministry. We had, we had deacon ministry. We didn't have deacon offices. Okay? We were biblical, right? The ministry came before the office. We are about to establish a deacon ministry here at the church in the next few months. One reason I'm teaching and preaching on this this morning. But here what we see is that he called the church together. He gave the full number of disciples, not outsiders, but disciples. He gave them the responsibility to pick from among themselves men that met certain standards and qualifications according to the scripture, according to what we see taught in the Bible. Okay, So what can we gain from that? We know that they were calling together the disciples, the true believers, as far as they knew, and they were, he was entrusting them and giving them the responsibility to pick from among themselves seven men according to these standards. Good repute, uh, that they were full of the Holy Spirit, and that they were full of wisdom. We'll get into those more here in just a moment. A couple of things that I want to pick out from that. Now, some would argue that this is not the deacon ministry unfolding. I would argue that this is absolutely the deacon ministry unfolding, and I'll give you three reasons why I believe that. So the word deacon itself is not found in this text. That's true. But derivatives of the word deacon are found in this text. As a matter of fact, and, that, and I'm some of you the Greek bores, but diakonia, the word, so let's look at the text. It says, and the 12, uh, let's see, the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the distribution. The word distribution is diakonia. This is, this is derivative, the same root of uh, deacon, diakonos, okay? When it says that it is not right that we should give up preaching the word uh, of God to serve tables, that word right there to serve tables or to wait on is diakonio. This is another derivative of the word uh, deacon or diakonos, okay? Uh, again, we see the word uh, ministry. It says it's not right uh, that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom, uh, whom we may appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This, this whole idea right here, this whole ministry is found in uh, serving. It is, and that word right there is diakonia, ministry, service. Okay, So we see that these people are commissioned to do what later the office of deacon will be all about. All right? You, I probably didn't have to convince you of that. You probably already believe that this is about deacons, but I just wanted to give you something to hold on to. So we see here the deacon ministry established. Later on, the office will be established, and it will be made official that what we see here in Acts chapter 6 was the way that the solution should be solved when problems present themselves. Now, I want to go a little bit further, and I want to touch on uh, some things that we see arising here I think that we could really learn a lot about. Number one is that the apostles, though they were called to be um, focused on and dialed into prayer and the word, saw the need to deal with the problem by uh, delegating responsibility and empowering others to do what needed to be done. Now, something I found interesting, and 
I, I kind of knew this, but this was really solidified in my thinking when I started reading, especially one commentary that I was reading, that the seven names picked. Now, let me, let me read that right quick. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint. We'll touch on that later, too. So they picked them, the apostles appointed them who we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And, they, and, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas. Now, I wouldn't have known this, but all seven names are Greek names. All seven names are Greek names. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were Hellenists themselves, although it may very well mean that they were Hellenists. Because some Hebraic Jews, Hebrew Jews, Hebrew-speaking Jews, they were getting Greek names in that time. But it's, I find it very odd, hard to believe, that that's of no consequence whatsoever. It doesn't mean anything. That when you see... It was the Hellenist Greek-speaking Jews that had the problems. Their widows were the ones being neglected. The apostles come together and said, listen, we don't have the time and we don't have the call to deal with this ourselves with our own hands, but we are going to take care of it by delegating and appointing solid believers who are sympathetic to what's going on. I think that's key. I think that's key in the church. Here's the issue that I've found. I've been a, pastor, a lead pastor, teaching pastor now for nine years at the well. This is my first leading teaching pastor, okay? I was a part of another church for a long time, and I was very involved in that church, but this is the first time I've been one that would be up front teaching and be on an elder board. We didn't have an elder board at the other church. It was a solo pastor at that church, which, well, that's another sermon for another day. But I have noticed this in my experience at the other church and my experience at this church i'll give you two examples okay i'll try to be as vague as i can because i don't want to name anybody i won't name anybody but i want to be as vague as i can but i want to i want i want it to come across because this may be you so over the years we've had issues at the church obviously every church does i don't know a church that doesn't have issues right if you find a church that doesn't have issues don't go because you will be the first issue right what I've found is, is that when those issues are identified, what follows after the identification of the problem is very telling on all who are involved. Now, here, here's what I mean. When this problem was presented, let me hit this two different ways. I'll do it as fast as I can. When this problem was presented with the apostles, they could have said, that's not my problem. That's not my call. Figure it out. They could have said, you take care of it. They could have said, you know, stop whining, get out of here. There is no problem. None of those were, were done. Overarching, overextended power grabs, none of that. What did they say? We're in a, yeah, they knew they were in authority. Yes, we're in authority. We're leading this church. We're not responsible to solve this problem with our hands, but we are responsible to see that a solution comes about. How? By empowering you who are, who are qualified to go and do what obviously you see is a problem. 
So there's problems sometimes with the way that the leadership handles a problem that's presented, but there's also problems with the way that the membership or the disciples, when they identify a problem. I'll tell you two examples that I've experienced firsthand happened to me. So we have had had a bunch of individuals leave the church. A lot of times I, I don't even know they leave, and it's not because I don't care about it. It's because there's a lot of people here, right, and I'm, I'm not great at remembering people. I'm not great at, you know, oh, there's too much going on, you know. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know if they're gone for a couple of weeks, two or three weeks sometimes, right? There's like 300 people that go here. So I, had, I, had, I noticed that the guy was gone, right? So I called up. I said, hey, what's up, man? You know, you okay? What's going on? And uh, he said, oh, well. You know, we we're, we we left. We're we're doing something else. Oh well, you know, it's regular, you know, member, you know, involved. I said, well, what did something happen? You know, what's going on? You didn't even let me know. And what, it, somebody's called another church. Hey, that's that's fine. You know, if God's doing that, I don't hold no grudges. I promise, right? But no word, no nothing. I said, what what happened? Well, he said, well, man, he said, can I just be honest with you? I said, by all means, man, be honest with me. I I want to know what happened. He said, well, I was out of church two weeks, and you never came by to see me. You never called me. You never, you never come, come to my house. I said, well, and I won't get into the details because it will give it away too much, but we had a long conversation about, you know, I have four kids. I have a business. You know, we have other pastors in the church that do that, and I try to do that, and I know I need to do better about that. We had this conversation. I had the conversation about, why don't you come and talk to me? You know, why don't you come and, and tell me that, I had hurt you in this way. It was never my intention. I also found out that there were people going by and visiting on him. He was meeting with other people. He just wanted me because I'm up here, right? And, and I, I told him, I said, you know, we talked about a bunch of different stuff like that. You know, I I'm, I'm try to be very involved with my kids. I'm very family-oriented. I want you to be. That's why we have to spread everything out. That's why we have to delegate, right? So not to bang on that too much, but here's, what I want, here's my point in, in this. Is that I, I told him, I said, brother, I said, listen, I said, that, that is not on my radar as much as it should be. I, I grant that, but it seems to be very on your radar. I said, did you ever stop to think that maybe since you're so sensitive to, and I wasn't trying to be rude, that might have came off rude. Have you ever thought since you're so sensitive to, People needing to be visited on a Sunday when they don't come or getting a call. I said, have you ever thought that since you see that so readily and it's so on your radar that you might be a very, very good candidate to lead a ministry that would, when somebody's not here on Sunday, that would call them and minister to them and say, hey, where were you at, brother? We surely didn't miss you because that's close to your heart. You know, I'm, I'm a preacher and a teacher and I know I need to do better about that. We should seek all the gifts. But it seems to be very, you're very aware of it very quickly. Have you ever thought about that? Boy, he's too busy. I'll tell you another one, one more, one more. Because this is real, and this is some of you. And this is me sometimes. I ain't got no cape on. This is me sometimes. We can all get in a place where we're, you know, crossing our arms about a problem that we should be the one solving, right? 
you know, what was the Hambones telling me about a time where he was walking in and out of a place and there was a piece of trash on the ground. I think it was a Christian ministry, if I'm not mistaken. And he kept walking by. It's like, I can't believe they just let that lay there. <laughs> you know? And he, huh? Oh, at the school. At school. He came back. He's like, that trash is still there. <laughs> you know, and he walked by like the third or fourth or fifth time. He's like, trashy people. And then he was like, the Lord just spoke to him and said, you've walked by that five times. You're the trash, you know, whatever. Uh, I had another incident, and uh, I know I need to move, but I had another incident, and this one, this one really got me. This one really got me. I had a, uh, um, a person in the church, and uh, they, had, they had left, and uh, I, I didn't hear from them. I, didn't find, I called them. I said, hey, man, what's going on? Come to find out, and uh, this might step on some of y'all's toes. Come to find out, the reason that they had left the church was that the children in our children's ministry was too dirty. That there, was, there had been some cases of lice. There had been some, some cases of some just stinky kids, right? And, you know, and uh, the funny thing is, and I don't want to get too detailed, but the funny thing is, is that this particular person had I had talked to a good bit and and we had I thought was on the same page about going into the ghettos into the dark places into the highways and byways and preaching the gospel and so when you do that <laughs> when you go to the down and out places where you, the poor live and the you know uh want to be careful because you know some of y'all jacked up you know <laughs> When you go to, the, I was, you know, I'm jacked up. So when you go to those, like, you, like, like attracts like, right? You know, I mean, I, I was a drug addict, so I'm going to attract drug addicts, you know? So when they get here, he was all about going and doing that. And I was like, bro, I said, and that's what I said, because that, that kind of made me mad. I was trying to, I was gentle with the other one. It's kind of made me mad. I was like, are you serious? Because he said, I think we just need to go where, where we feel like God's really calling us. And I, and I said, I was probably rude on this one. I asked forgiveness. I said, bro, I said, the, the minute you get to a church where God's calling you to minister to only clean people, I said, you found the wrong church, right? Like, by definition, you know, that is not. So, anyway, may hurt a few feelings with this one, but I think this is exactly what we see here. Is that, I said, man, listen. I calmed down a little. I said, man, listen. I said, look, obviously you see that problem. I said, did you think before you left that maybe you guys could have done some classes on hygiene? Maybe you guys could have done some classes on properly taking care of hair so that you don't have lice. Have you ever thought about maybe formulating? Because you're very sensitive to that and sympathetic to that. It, it bothers you. Have you ever thought that maybe that was God pricking you and pushing you to do something about it instead of just leaving, which only creates a bigger problem because now the person who was really sensitive to it is gone and he didn't start the ministry that would have helped with the problem. So do you think it's telling that the apostles said pick from among yourselves? And some would say that the from among yourselves would have been only Hellenist Jews. But, but I don't think it could have been because it said what? He gathered the full number of disciples. 
But I do believe it's telling that the seven that were chosen had Greek names, which would have probably meant they were very sensitive to the issues at hand. If you're very sensitive to an issue at the church, don't get mad and leave the church. Figure out how you can be used to solve the problem that you obviously see better than anybody else. Does that not make sense to everybody? Right? If you really don't like that the way the walls are painted, we have a spot. Like Mark said, you can't paint that spot, right? right? Remember this, Mark? There's a huge, like you go down this hallway, you look on the right, there's this huge place where the paint just doesn't match. The, the sheetrock's all jacked up, and it's like, this is horrible, right? I had somebody point that out. So I'm like, okay, do you have a sheetrock trial and a sander? You can fix it anytime you want to. You know what I'm saying? But Mark's like, no, you can't fix that. Didn't, wasn't it you that was telling me that? I thought, like, why not? He's like, because this is indicative of all of the, all of the problematic, jacked-up people that <laughs> helped us when we were building this church. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, praise the Lord. Because, man, it was some nights up here, right? I remember me and Heath Kelly and... Um, Kevin Vest and Steve Brown was here on our hands and knees up under that toilet in there putting that, that glued uh, under the, the base plastic all the way around through there. And it was like, we are, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, this is good ministry. <laughs> it was awful, but it was so good. We got so close to each other, you know, because the toilet's small and you got to get up under there. <laughs> see we see these things coming to the forefront that it was sympathizers it was those who saw the need and they had the ability now um, I'm out of time but a lot of different things that we see is let, let's say it this way let me let me hit on the standards and then I want to talk just a second about delegation and we'll be done so he brought the full number the, the apostles brought the full number of Jews together or full number of disciples together and he says, okay, guys, you pick out from among yourself seven men who are, who are of good, repu good reputation, uh, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. Okay? Pick from among yourself. Now, this is why in our church, we've never had a congregational vote. We don't do congregational votes. For the most part, most congregational voting that you see in our churches that surround us in my estimation is completely unbiblical okay i'm not condemning anybody i'm just telling you how i understand the scripture so we've not had congregational voting but as we go back see this is another and i'm and i'm glad i'm a part of the well because this is a possibility i've been in churches where this is not a possibility you can't back up and punt because you saw something that you should have done a different way that would be more biblical well we saw through the scriptures that there is instances where the congregation, maybe vote is, is the wrong word, but they nominate, they have a say. I believe that you can say that they do a type of vote when church discipline is being set forth, okay? They have a voice in it, if nothing else. But here we see nomination. They nominate deacons. They nominate people who are qualified for the position, and then, the, now, this is what's different from most congregational votes that you know about. In the text here, it says that pick from among yourselves men that are full of the Holy Spirit, good repute, full of wisdom, and bring them to us. He says, therefore, brothers, pick 
out from among you seven men, good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves. So it's a collaborative effort. So the apostles say, okay, look, you guys are pretty sensitive to this. You see the problem. We have to, con- we have to set ourselves aside for prayer and the word, but we trust you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be numbered among our members, our disciples. So we want you to pick out from among yourself seven men that meet these qualifications and then bring them to us and we will appoint them and they appoint them by the laying on of hands. Now I'm sure they examined them to make sure that they met the qualifications, the collaborative, and they set them forth. But I want you to see what, and I won't go into all three of these things, but men of good reputation, men full of the Holy Spirit, men full of wisdom. All of those chosen had Greek names and one was identified as a proselyte from Antioch. These would have been sympathetic to the cause, and that is the huge need. It's a collaborative effort seeking righteous, godly people that can see the problem and delegating authority and responsibility from where it comes from to those people and then trusting them to do the ministry. That's, that balance is almost impossible to find. You either have leadership that won't give any power and authority and delegate anything because they want to do it all themselves or you see the congregation with all the power and all the authority and they won't let the pastor have a say how many pastors do i know that i talk to that they know they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the way that their church is operating is not biblical i've had multiple pastors tell me face to face that brennan i know i wish i could do something about it face to face they tell me that Why can't they do anything about it? They have the Word of God. They have the Word of God. They can show. They know what the Word says. Why can't they do anything about it? Because they're under the authority of the people. And the people don't know the Bible. And they're scared to preach the actual Bible. Why? Because the people will just kick them out. It's so backwards and upside down. And on the other side it is too. A a totalitarian preacher just can't ever be questioned by his people. You know what? The only authority that I have is the Word of God. But you know what? Guess what authority you have? The Word of God. The Word of God is over both of us. I may be leading to a certain degree, but if I'm not headed toward the Word of God, then you have the authority by the Word of God to say, hey, yo, you outside the Word of God, and we'll talk about it. And we'll break open the scriptures and we'll find out what in the world is going on. Now, this all points to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This has Christ all over it. I want you to think about how Jesus Christ did what he did. Jesus Christ, who has all authority on heaven and in earth, came to the, the earth and was called to do something. He was called to fulfill God's law. He was called to live as the blemishless sacrifice that would be the propitiation for all who would believe. He was called to a task. There was lots of other things that needed to be done. Lots of other issues on the horizon. Many other problems that would come about. But those weren't his problems for his hands at least. But what would he do? He would fulfill his call 
perfectly by dedicating himself to prayer and the word and to the ministry of the cross. And that he would do what God called him to do. And the very fulfillment of his ministry would necessarily mean delegating responsibility to people that he had caused to be qualified through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, empowering them and calling them to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, to work in and for the church and to work in and for the world, proclaiming the gospel to bring those in darkness into the light. And this is the beautiful thing that he has. This is, I, I need to close. This is it. Everybody stand to your feet. How about that? That way you know I'm serious. is that the Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and we are the body. It says it many different ways, that each one of you are a different part of the body. Some of you are toes, Dakota. Some of you are fingers. Some of you are arms. Some of you are mouths. Some of you hate to talk, but you're good ears. Some of you are eyes. You see really well, but you don't run really fast. Some of you are this and some of you are that. Uh, Paul tells in Corinthians, tells it this way, that the Holy Spirit gives all kinds of gifts to all kinds of different people. Some of you have gifts of, of healing. Some of you have gifts of wisdom. Some of you have gifts of prophecy. Some of you have gifts of speaking and teaching. And some of you have gifts of service and acts of servanthood. Some of you have this gift, administrative gifts, all kinds of gifts. And the issue is, is that some of you will not use your gift. Another issue is, is that some of you have one gift and you don't have this gift, but you insist on doing this gift because you really like this gift and you don't really like this gift. So I want to do this one. I don't want to do that one. It would be like if the apostle said, look, we're going to serve the tables. Y'all go preach. Jesus Christ has called us to complement one another, to collaborate with one another, to drive in our own lane for the purposes of getting to the destination that we need to get to. And what is that? It's to glorify God and to love on people, bringing them to a place where they would glorify God and love on people. You see it? This is how the world works. I think, Justin, I think this is shalom. I think that's wrapped up in that whole word of peace and intricate design and interwovenness, harmonic living, that God is interweaving into all of us through the power of the Holy Spirit a love and devotion to one another that even when there is some tension, even when there is some problems, that we would say, the problem is not bigger than my love for you. The problem is not bigger than my willingness to serve. The problem is not bigger than my understanding of how I need to glorify Christ and how can I do that how can I serve you today this is the basis in my opinion of the deacon ministry and that when people come together and they're not scared to give away authority they're not scared to get their hands dirty they understand that those who seek to be first will be last and those who, who seek to be or, or who are last will be first that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest among you are the least. It's the servants. As we progress in the coming weeks and in the next month or two, we're going to press into our deacon ministry. We're going to nominate deacons. I'll teach more about uh, the qualifications of deacon. And my whole purpose in this is to glorify God 
and see to the needs that all of you have that I can't, I can't fix with my own hand because of limitations that I have. But do I can? What? Robert can. Jake can. My mom can. Dominic, you even can, brother. Dakota, Justin, we can work together. Nate, we can work together and we'll watch this thing explode. Because if I'd have got if I'd have had time, I'd have covered on through the rest of those verses. I'll do it right now. <laughs> what happened when they appointed those men and they started doing that ministry? What happened to the apostles calling and the apostles going forth? Boom! It exploded. It exploded. Let's glorify God today. Respond accordingly, however God's moving in your heart. I love you guys.